0: Welcome. Thanks for joining us. So I do have a handout. So you all have a little preview. If you're Rita Headers, you know what we're talking about tonight. Um, But as Mary told you last month, we were talking about the foundations of the biblical woman this year. And if you missed that, go listen to Mary's teaching. Um, It's on her website, but she started with this quote from Elizabeth Elliott. I'll just read a portion of what she had shared, but it says, As a biblical woman, she says, I have accepted God's idea of me, and my whole life is an offering back to him of all that I am and all that he wants me to be. Okay, so that's what we're talking about this year. This is our theme, what it means to be God's woman. So accepting his idea of me, Mary's going to talk next week about Our identity in Christ as women and then the rest of the year will be that second part my whole life is an offering back to him so it's the application what it looks like to be a biblical woman that's we're going to talk about the rest of the year so in Mary's teaching she shared how what's valued by our culture as women is to be independent make our own rules answer to ourselves right but that's the opposite of the biblical woman right? A biblical woman is dependent on the Lord. Instead of making our own rules and answering to ourselves, we place ourselves under God's authority and his rule. Tonight, I'm feeling my utter dependency on the Lord because I get the honor of teaching you guys tonight about the nature of God. So if you haven't gotten a handout, there should be more in the back if you'd like one. But I get to talk about who is this God who made us women, And it's foundational for us because if we don't know the reality of who God is, how can we follow him? How can we trust him? How can we obey him when he calls us to be as women? So our study about biblical womanhood has to begin with the author of biblical womanhood, our creator God. Uh, A.W. Tozer, which his name, his first name is actually Aiden. I don't know if any of you knew that. I have a son named Aiden, and he said he's never met anybody older than him named Aiden. But this is Aiden Tozer, which I thought was kind of fun. So he says, what comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And I think that's true for us both as Christians and as women. What do we think about God? Tonight my prayer is that our hearts would be open to see God as our king who loves us, And knows what's best for us. And our response to that understanding would be love for him and joyful obedience to his ways. So I get 30 minutes to share about the infinite one. So I need some prayer. I'm going to pray for us. God, thank you so much for tonight. We thank you for each woman that's here. God, we thank you for... Just that you are living and active, God, that you want to speak to each one of us. You want to meet us right where we are. We pray that you would just allow our minds to focus on your truth, to hear and to understand, God, just open up our hearts to know you more tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So who is God? Well, the Bible is the inspired book written by God about God. We know that creation reveals something of who God is, right? The nature of God like we studied in Romans 1. But the fullness of who God is is revealed only in his word, right? So we'll spend some time looking at his word tonight. I want to start with this verse, John 17. It says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So what is our greatest problem in life? This is the interactive part. What's our greatest problem in life? Sin. Thank you. Sin, right? It's that we're dead. In our sin, right? We're separated from God. We're slaves to our sin, as we've been learning in Romans. But God, being rich in mercy, makes himself known to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And as Christian women, when we repent of our sin and turn to Christ in faith, we have eternal life. We should praise God. That is the most precious gift we can receive. So if you know Christ as your Savior, God has already revealed himself to you in the most personal way to meet your most personal and deep need. Many women do not know Christ, but we are blessed to know him as Christian women. So what can hinder us as women from knowing God beyond the saving knowledge of him that we have in Christ? Well, one of my kids' school teachers recently was talking about God. First, this teacher wrongly described God, and then she said to the class, who would want to follow a God like that? Well, she has made God in her own image, and she doesn't want to follow her self-created idea of who God is. She's the one on the throne, not God. And her ideas about him are what determines her reality. That's the essence of what the Bible calls idolatry. Idolatry is creating a God in our image and then living like those things about him are true. And often as Christians, it's too easy for us also to not think and believe rightly about who God is. We too create ideas in our own minds and live our lives based on false ideas about God sometimes. We are guilty of idolatry ourselves. So I'm trusting that God will reveal himself to us more clearly tonight so we can turn away from some of those idols that we might be holding on to in our heart and turn towards God and his majesty tonight. So we're going to look at some of the attributes of God. And attributes is kind of a, I don't know, a big word, but it really is just whatever God has revealed to us as being true of himself, okay? So it's something that's true of God that we can understand to be true about him. So people that talk about the attributes of God usually use the word attributes of God instead of character traits or qualities. And the reason for this is that our character as people is made up of the sum of the parts of who we are more frequently. And character qualities are things that can kind of come and go in our lives, right? So our character is these parts that come together, and it can change, right? And so they use the word attribute because God is completely different than us, okay? His attributes are who he is and how he is always. They are like facets of his being that are always being perfectly manifested by him in every situation, always. And between all of his attributes, there's never any contradiction. So all that God does is consistent with all of his attributes all of the time. So, you might observe something and say, Oh, I see God's justice there, or Oh, I saw a picture of God's love there. But that's really just our observations about Him, right? And everything, God is always acting perfectly out of all of His attributes all of the time. So, <clears throat> whether or not we observe it for ourselves, that's just who He is always in every situation. So, using the word attributes just helps us think of God rightly and understand that he's different than who we are in our humanity. So I'm going to rapid fire you guys on some of the attributes. And I think I put a list on your paper. Oh, I did. Okay. So first, God is infinite. It means he's limitless, measureless. He's beyond our ability to comprehend completely. God is self-existent. He's uncreated. There's no origin to God. He's self-sufficient. He needs nothing. He's dependent on no one, and yet he chooses to use us. God is eternal. Psalm 90 says, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. God is immutable. It means he's unchanging. That's really hard for us to believe because we're always changing, right? God is omniscient. He's all-knowing, perfect in knowledge and understanding. No need to learn. No one has ever been his counselor. God's omnipotent, meaning he's all-powerful. He has the ability and strength to bring to pass whatever he pleases. God is triune. There's one God, three persons of the Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, yet there's one God. God is omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere in time and place, and it means that he's always with us. God, thank you. Amen. We should probably get Kim back up here and sing after we talk about this. Uh, so God is holy. In Greek and Hebrew, that means to separate. And this is like a transcendental separation that speaks of God's absolute moral excellence and his perfect purity. God is just or righteous. Those two words are used interchangeably in the Bible to describe God. This means he's perfectly right in his treatment of everyone. He shows no partiality ever. His punishment for sin and his rewards for righteousness are always perfect. God is merciful merciful. This is God's readiness to relieve us of the misery that we bring upon ourselves because of our sin. And I thought this is cool, but mercy is spoken all throughout the Bible, but it's spoken of four times more in the Old Testament than in the New Testament. God is faithful, meaning he's steadfast, firm, unwavering. He never fails. God is good. His goodness is his constant disposition towards us to be kind, benevolent, tender-hearted, quick to sympathize with us. He takes pleasure in our happiness. He's eager to be in close relationship with us. God's goodness is either taught or implied on every single page of the Bible. Amen, praise God. So I could go on, but there are three attributes I haven't mentioned yet because I wanna focus on these three. They are God's sovereignty, God's love, and God's wisdom. Because I think for us to trust God and who we are as biblical women And follow his word in obedience like we're going to talk about later in the year. We need to believe that God is our king who loves us and knows what's best for us. So we're going to start with sovereignty. I'll give you guys a definition here. So the sovereignty of God is God's exercising of his absolute authority over his creation. So this is the fact that God is our king. He is our ruling authority that governs all that he's made. For God to be sovereign, he needs to be all-knowing, all-powerful, and absolutely free, meaning no one and nothing can stop him or coerce him. So let's look at some verses on God's sovereign rule, and I'm going to blast through all my verses too, but I wrote the references on your sheet if you want to go back and read them. So Chronicles, both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your right hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Timothy, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings and lord of lords. Daniel, he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Psalms, our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. Isaiah, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Isaiah 46, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Genesis, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And then the last psalm says, he covers the heavens with clouds, prepares rain for the earth, makes grass grow on the hills, gives the beasts their fields, and to the young ravens that cry. So we can see from all these verses that God rules over people, kingdoms, the hosts of heaven, nature, well-being, and calamity. So clearly God is our ruling authority. So why is that so important for us to believe in the sovereignty of God? Because as biblical women, we must believe that God rules over you and God rules over me. So often we want to be our own authority. We wanna be in charge, we wanna be in control, or at least register our vote with God, right? Well, to be biblical women, we have to relinquish that control. We must take ourselves off the throne each day and choose to live our lives under God's authority. Isaiah 53, six says, we all like sheep have gone astray, each of us has turned to his own way. And I don't know about you, but that's like my life every day, that I want to go my own way. And Steele taught about that, Last week, when he talked about Romans 7, this battle we feel between our flesh and our spirit, I feel that every hour of my life, every single day. A little over a week ago, I had planned uh, to spend the whole morning working on my teaching. My older kids were at school. Josh was out of town. I said, when you get back, I'll be ready. I'll give you my teaching. Um, And I had almost finished teaching my homeschooler and was going to go spend a few hours working on my teaching. And then my older son in high school calls and he says, hey, you got to come get My brother, he's doing really bad, so I went to school, I picked him up, we went to urgent care, we got him diagnosed with an ear infection, got him to the pharmacy, got him on medication, got him comfortable. Anyway, it took my entire morning, and it was not what I had planned for my life. And I had a choice in that situation. Would I grumble and complain and worry that I didn't get the work done that I knew I needed to get done? Or would I have a peaceful heart that trusted my king and what he determined for my day? that he would give me time to work on my teaching another time. And that may seem like a small thing to you, but our days are made up of hundreds of situations like this where we get the opportunity to either put ourselves on the throne, either by our actions or our attitudes, or we get to yield to our king and what he determines for our days. God does indeed rule over everything always, as those verses say. But the glory of being a Christian, the way we get to honor Christ, is that we yield to his rule in our lives by choosing to walk with him with a peaceful heart, to live our lives under his rule and authority instead of just walking in the flesh. So your first question is, will I yield to God's rule in my life today? And then, will I trust his rule? in my life. Are you struggling with fear about something? Who doesn't, right? Are you in a painful trial? If you aren't now, you either have been or you probably will be soon. Are you struggling in a difficult relationship, unsure of where to go? Charles Spurgeon says, there is no attribute more comforting to his children than that of God's sovereignty under the most adverse circumstances and the most severe trials. They believe that sovereignty overrules them and that sovereignty will sanctify them all. There is nothing for which the children ought more earnestly to contend than the doctrine of their master over creation, the kingship of, of God over all the works of his hand, the throne of God and his right to sit upon the throne." God is absolutely in control of that situation or thing that is causing you to fear and worry. He is working in and through that painful trial that he ordained for your life. He is ruling over your life and the life of that person that you're in that difficult relationship with. Do you trust him as your king in all of those things? When we believe that God is king and yield our lives to him in faith, then we can say, like it says in Psalm 31, but as for me, I trust in you, Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Our times are indeed in God's hands, and he will fulfill his purpose for us. Maybe we be biblical women that believe that he's in control, that honor him as our ruling king and trust him for what he has for us. All right, the second attribute, love, the love of God. This one is so important because I think as women especially, we feel such a profound need to be loved. And it's far too easy for us to believe the lies of Satan that we aren't loved by God. Now, we might not speak those words out loud, but we'll think them in our hearts. Maybe when we sin or in a painful circumstance in our life or when we can't do or achieve or have the things that we want or desire. Perhaps more than any of God's attributes, I think we can doubt his love. But as biblical women, we must have confidence in the love that God has for us. So I gave you guys a definition for this one since I defined the others too. But I said love is the goodwill and benevolence shown in self-sacrifice and an unconditional commitment to the loved one. So we're going to talk about three different facets of God's love. So first, God gives his love freely. Okay, It is uninfluenced, uncaused, and spontaneous. He's not compelled to love us because of anything we do. He loves us because of who he is. It's his very nature. 1 John 4, 8 says God is love. It's his nature. And then Deuteronomy says the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you are more in number than any of the other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all the people but it is because the Lord loves you. So why does God love us? It just says because he loves us right there, right? It's his nature to love us. We do nothing to earn or deserve his love. There is such peace for us in that, woman. And then this verse in Romans says, God shows his love for us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. We need to remember that he loved us freely when we were his enemies, hostile towards him. Yet, uninfluenced by anything that we have ever done, he gives us his love freely, not based on our merit, but on who he is. That is such a comfort to me. The second facet of God's love, and there's so many, I'm only going to cover three, but God's love is immutable. It means it's unchanging. So James says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So do you think there's something that you've done, Christian, that will change God's love for you? Maybe your sin, your lack of faith, even your belief in his love for you? Nothing. His love will never, ever change. And Steele read these verses, or not Steele, Bill read this this week at church. I'll read it for you guys, too. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? No. And all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, women, nothing. And why nothing? It sure doesn't feel like it's nothing to us, right? But it's not about what we feel. It's about that last part, that we are in Christ. Does God's love for Christ change? By no means, right? And if it doesn't change, if his love doesn't change for us or for Christ, it it would never change for us either. God doesn't look for reasons to love us that are within us like we do for ourselves. We like to think that we should be loved for certain reasons. But God is so vastly different than us. This is the reason he loves us. It's his nature and we are in Christ. All right, the third facet of his love is that God's love is holy and pure. His love for us displays his moral excellence and his perfect purity. So Hebrews 12, the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So our understanding of God's love must include the holiness and purity of God's love. We can often think, this thing I'm going through is so hard, God must not love me. But God is a good father. He uses hardship to make us like him. His discipline is not to punish us, but to transform us. He punished Christ at Calvary, but his discipline for us is to transform us. Discipline is not the mark of a harsh and heartless father, but of a father who is deeply and lovingly concerned for the well-being of their children. When I see selfishness in my children, I know that does not please God, and in love, My husband and I discipline for it. We want them to experience the peaceful fruit of righteousness in their lives that will come from learning to be selfless. God is our good father who uses painful things in our lives as a refining fire to purify our hearts. Now, we can't equate adversity in our lives with sinfulness in us, right? Just because we suffer doesn't mean it's because we've sinned. Job is certainly our reminder for that. There was not a more, man more righteous than Job on earth, and yet there was no one that suffered more than Job in his life. And we have to have an understanding of God's love, though, that in humility knows that we can grow and be more Christ-like, that receives adversity and even discipline in our lives as from God's loving hand. And for you children, you teens and preteens that are still living at home with your parents, do you believe that it is in love that your parents discipline you? God's love is holy and pure, and he disciplines us in love. Have you ever felt disciplined by the Lord? Are you feeling disciplined now by something in your life? You should praise God. That is a picture of God's holy and pure love for you. So why do we miss experiencing God's love? Why do we not feel his love at times? Well, we can be cut off from the assurance of God's love when we allow doubt and unbelief to get a foothold in our lives. Our experience of God's love is dependent upon our believing These truths about God's love as it's revealed in scripture. Doubts deprive us of the feelings of comfort that we get from his love. One author I read said the cloud between us and God is not affliction, but the sin of unbelief. And I had a clear picture of the fruit of unbelief in my relationship with my husband a number of years ago. He went and hiked, um, not hiked, he did that recently. He rafted the Grand Canyon about six and a half years ago. And uh, it was like a nine-day tour of the Grand Canyon, and he had no self-service, so we couldn't speak for like nine days. And I did pretty well. You know, I had five young kids at that time. I did pretty well at the beginning, but as time went on, and I was managing more and more things with them, I started believing lies about what Josh thought about me. I thought things like, that's so great, you're off having fun, not concerned about us at all, or, oh, he probably doesn't even miss us, he's just having fun with his friends, hanging out, and these thoughts started coloring my perspective towards my husband. One day when something particularly challenging happened, I thought, eh, he probably doesn't even care at all. And I was used, this is sad, but I was used to living by sight, not by faith. When it came to my husband's love and care for me and my family, and sadly, my faith in my husband's love was embarrassingly weak. Now, I didn't know Joshua would do this, but every day when he was gone, he recorded these videos. Sometimes he'd do it twice a day. And after he got home, he got out his camera and showed us these videos. And so we're sitting there watching the videos, and he says on every single video, I'm thinking about you guys all the time. I'm praying for you. I hope you're doing well. I love you. I miss you so much. He was clearly deeply concerned about us and had profound love for us, and I was incredibly humbled. It's still painful, as you can see, to think about how the lies I believed about my husband and his love for me, how that sin of unbelief so colored my experience of Josh's love for me and for my children. And I think more humbling than that is when we doubt the perfect love of our Lord and Savior. I am convinced that what I felt watching those videos with Josh We will feel to such a greater degree when we step into turning and we see our Savior and we know his love face to face. It's so easy to think sinful thoughts about God that he doesn't care, but his word must be our source of truth, not our feelings. We must see our circumstances through God's love instead of God's love through our circumstances. We need to turn our heart to God in faith 2 Corinthians 5.7 says we walk in faith, not by sight. Well, we believe in faith, women. Will we believe that he does love us even when we don't feel it. God's love is objectively true. Whether we choose to trust it or not, let's be women who walk in faith, not by sight. Then we can say like the psalmist in chapter 13, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. All right, the last attribute we're going to talk about is the wisdom of God. So that God is all-wise is important for us to believe as biblical women because it's easier to think it's easy, honestly, to think that we can know better than God at times. Maybe we believe he's our ruling king that cares for us, but do we believe that he knows what's best for us? This one can be hard because God does indeed give us his wisdom and he gives us insight and he tells us to ask for it. But we must remember that we are not God and his wisdom is immeasurably beyond ours. So the definition I have for wisdom is the ability to develop the best course of action or the best response to a given situation. So it's devising the perfect ends and to achieve those ends by the perfect means. So I'll give you guys some verses on this. Psalm God is our Lord, or great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding, synonym for wisdom, is beyond measure. Isaiah, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Isaiah, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than their earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Job, do you know the hoverings of the clouds, the wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge? Colossians, Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And Romans 11, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out who has known in the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor. I memorized this section in Romans in college during a time of hardship that God brought into my life that I didn't like and I couldn't understand. I think we often want to have things proven to us, right? Like doubting Thomas. But faith is believing without having things supported by the evidence of our senses. We want to understand God's thoughts perfectly, but as these verses say, they are immeasurably beyond ours. I have many times, I don't know if you guys have ever tried to do this, I'd call it spiritual math. Where I think, well, this thing that God determined in my life, this will make sense to me if I see this result here. Or this will be worth it if I see this fruit. And when I don't understand, I want to know the why so I can see and then agree with God, right? That he's taking the best course of action. I want to be his counselor. And sometimes the math doesn't add up for me. I can't always make sense of the why, what God is doing. I don't understand. An example for you guys, a number of you guys know that we have some real food boundaries in our family. My youngest has a life-threatening peanut allergy that he's had since he was one. And about 10 years ago, I developed anaphylaxis to things like onions and peppers and basil. And my husband, over the course of the last five to seven years, has gone from dairy-free to gluten-free. Now he's on low FODMAP in order for him to feel well. And I would just say to you, if you do not have any food restrictions, you should praise God and enjoy your food. Okay. It is really, you don't realize how much food permeates everyday life until God draws some boundaries on you in that area. And these boundaries have felt like they've kind of piled up on me more and more over the years. So much so that there's multiple times I have been in tears in the aisle at Walmart, just trying to find something to feed my family. It feels so complicated for me. Food brings pleasure, it brings connection, it brings nourishment. And the boundaries God determined for me and my family makes me feel robbed of these things at times. It can make it so we can't just easily receive hospitality from a neighbor. I can't just go out to eat with friends. I can't just enjoy a bite of something that looks good without saying, hey, tell me what's in that. I can't travel without planning well. In my limited understanding, I can't understand why God gave us these boundaries. And that's why we need faith. Faith. It takes faith to trust that God is all wise when we don't see it. Our faith in God in these situations pleases him. If you've read the book of Job, you know that Job and his friends are trying to understand why God brought such terrible suffering in Job's life, and it's way worse than any food boundaries like I have. Job's friends offer their wise, and at the end, if you've read it, God answers Job's questions not with why, but with who. And it's one of the most profound revelations of God in the entire Bible. I'd encourage you to read it. But Job's response in chapter 42, he says, God, I know that you can do all things. He's omnipotent. And then no purpose of yours can be thwarted, that you're sovereign. He says, therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Like Job, we need to be careful not to utter what we don't understand, both in our lives and in the lives of others. We must trust God's perfect wisdom and understanding and trust God whether we see the wisdom or the beneficial results in our life or not. We must begin with faith in God, not seek to understand in order to believe, but believe in order that we might understand. In love, God wills what's best for us, and in wisdom, he knows how to bring it about. John Flavel is a Puritan pastor from the 1600s. He says, resign up yourselves to the wisdom of God and lean not on your own understanding. So when we don't understand something and don't know why, there is a different question we can ask, and it's what. We can ask God, what would you like me to learn this situation? What do you want to teach me? This passage in Roman, I, I think probably most of you have read before, it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. So I, we share the first verse a lot, right? It's very encouraging that God works all things for good. But that second verse is connected to it. What is the good that God says in that second verse? It's conformity to the likeness of his son. That's the what. What does God have for us in the hardship? While we might desire comfort or happiness and pray for those things, conforming to Christ in ever-increasing measure in our lives is our greatest good. That's the process our pastors have been talking about, sanctification. We've been talking about that in Romans, this conforming to Christ. So as a biblical woman We want to ask God, what do you want to teach me in this hardship? And I have seen the what in my own life, in the food boundaries God's given us. God has used this hardship to um, teach me first that God is in control of my kids' lives. He's the one that protects them. He's the one that cares for them. He loves my children infinitely more than I ever could. He's helped me to have a more thankful heart for what I do get to eat and not find my satisfaction in the pleasure that food offers. He's helped me to embrace one of my great purposes in life as feeding my family well instead of grumbling about that work. He's helped me to do it joyfully as an offering to him. He's helped me to lift my eyes up to heaven and look forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb where we can all feast together with the Lord Jesus and we're all sitting down at that table. I don't have to say, hey, can you tell me what's in that? Right, I just sit to eat freely with all of you at the marriage supper of the Lamb. My boundaries, because of the brokenness of our bodies, my family and mine, has lifted my eyes up to eternity. I couldn't tell you why, but I can tell you what he has taught me. And that has been a path of peace for me. A.W. Tozer says, with the loving kindness of God to desire our highest welfare, the wisdom of God to plan it, and the power of God to achieve it, what do we lack? Surely we are the most favored of all creatures. Amen. May we believe that. So to wrap things up, for those of you that do know Christ as your Savior, I had a couple verses for you. Jeremiah says, I changed it to female version, because it said man, but I'm talking to just women tonight, so I'm going to make it women. So it says, let not the wise woman boast of her wisdom, or the strong woman boast of her strength, or the rich woman boast of her riches, but let her who boasts boast about this, that she understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. Women, may we know God more after tonight. That would be an answer to my prayer if we could all boast about a greater understanding of who God is. May we have faith to honor God as our reigning king, faith to believe how much he does love us, faith to believe that his ways are best, even when we don't understand them. And may we pray like the father who asked Jesus if he could heal his son. Lord, I do believe. Help my unbelief. For those of you who may be newer and would say you're still not sure if you know God, You're not sure if you have a relationship with Christ. I don't have a slide for this one, but it's a well-known verse. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The greatest demonstration of the love of God is at the cross of Christ. It is the one absolute, objective, irrefutable proof of God's love for us. In love... He met our deepest need, our brokenness because of our sin. In wisdom, God has directed the entire course of our life so that we might know him and have a relationship with him. In his sovereignty, he brought you here tonight to learn about him. May God open your heart tonight to receive Christ as your Savior if you don't know him. If you haven't done that before, just talk to somebody in your group or you can talk to me afterwards. I'll pray. God, thanks so much for each one of these women here. Thank you for their faith to come and to join us. Thank you for uh, just a chance to hear from your word, God. We thank you that you are indeed our exalted king who loves us, Lord, who knows what's best for us. God, we thank you that you're sovereign. Lord, help us to yield to your rule, to trust in your authority. God, help us to give up our desires to control our own lives, but have a greater desire to live under your authority. God, we thank you for your perfect love. Help us be women who walk by faith in your love, not by sight. God, just pray Ephesians 5 over these women that you may dwell in their hearts through faith, that you being rooted and established and, and grounded in love, God, that these women have, would have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that they may each be filled to all the fullness of you. God, we pray you'd give us wisdom, God, but that we wouldn't lean on our own understanding, but walk in faith of your faith in your perfect understanding, God. Help us not to utter things we don't understand. Like Job said, things too wonderful for us that we do not know, God. We don't always understand the why. Help us to see who you are and ask what you want us to learn, Lord. We praise you, like that song said, for you are good. Your faithful love endures forever. God, we just praise you for who you are. We believe, God, help our unbelief. Bless our conversation and our breakdown groups, God. May we honor you and all that we do tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.